1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 103. Hi, I'm Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver, a little story about a powerful business idea. Want a powerful podcast to listen to? You found it. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my great friend, Jeff Brown.
0: The question I have people ask is, what makes people pay attention when I do it? What are those things that you do that people go, oh, wow, that was great, can you do it again? Oh, wow, that was wonderful, can you do it for me?
1: Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, and thanks for checking out the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. The topic of leadership is, of course, always central to our discussion, but we also dig into topics like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we will chat with Dixie Gillespie, author of Just Blow It Up, Firepower for Living an Unlimited Life. And I'm going to be asking Dixie about the idea that creativity is often educated out of us and what to do about it, the belief that long-lasting positive results cannot be achieved with negative reinforcement, dealing with the mindset of, but I can't because, and a whole lot more. I was in your office the other day, and I couldn't help but notice you haven't purchased a motorized desk from the folks at UpDesk. Uh, just yet i have the power up and i love it i'm taking a stand for my health and i think you should too i love the app too on my iphone and for android too that uh, reminds me of when to stand when to sit and for how long shows me the the calories i'm burning uh, in the process believe it or not Uh, free shipping in the lower 48 by the way check them out read to lead com slash desk once you try one of these, you will not want to go back to a regular sit-down desk. I assure you, read 2 com slash desk. Ever since she was a little girl, Dixie Gillaspie's least favorite word was can't. And it still is. And she's on a mission to prove that anything is possible for anyone. Her first love is working with entrepreneurs as a coach, consultant, muse, and fire starter. By the way, find out more at DixieDynamiteCoaching.com. She's good at seeing opportunities where other people see walls, navigating crossroads where other people see dead ends, and helping people connect their passion and purpose to create a powerful presence and increased profit. Dixie is the author of Just Blow It Up, Firepower for Living an Unlimited Life. She contributes to Entrepreneur and Huffington Post and is a senior managing editor for the Good Men Project. Dixie, welcome. I'm doing dynamite. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful, Jeff. Pleased to be with you today. This is fabulous.
1: Well, I, I thought we'd start with with something that you uh, begin the book with, a very somber uh, thought about a funeral you attended at, at 42, the funeral of someone who was just 10 years older than you, and, and what that moment helped you to crystallize.
0: Yeah. You know, we think about the defining moments, what I think of as the crossroad moments, those times when we realize that we have choices and the one that we were... On isn't necessarily the choice that we want to make. Mm. So I'm sitting there in the front row, unfortunately, with the family. It was a really hard time, and this man's children had chosen music that they knew that he loved. Mm. So it was a little not traditional, shall we say? <laughs> right. And but they had the whole family had loved the Flaming Lips, and so they played the Lips. What is the light? And if you've ever heard that song, it starts with this beautiful slow thrum and the question what is the light and it goes on to reference that light that comes from inside and I sat there definitely crying for Steve but also crying because I realized that I had at one time had that kind of light Mm. and it really wasn't burning very brightly and we listened to eulogy after eulogy about Steve was so passionate about this and Steve was so passionate about that And certainly his life was ended too soon, but he had lived it with all the passion that you can imagine. And I realized that I was not living my life that way. And the work that I was doing did not fire me up the way it once had. So it was that defining moment when I realized I had to change my path.
1: Mm. Well, in what you do now, you spend a lot of time coaching Entrepreneurs, we just had a chance to talk with um, Beth Bilo of the introvert entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. A fascinating conversation. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the entrepreneurial mindset and more specifically what entrepreneurship means to, to you and, and what you've been doing.
0: Mm. You know, I think everyone has the option to be an entrepreneur in the truest sense because, Jeff, believe it or not, originally it didn't really mean owning a business. Right. The word entrepreneur was um, from the French. Actually, it can be traced back to Latin as most of our words can. But but the French word meant one who has an undertaking. So I really look at that entrepreneurial mindset and spirit as living your life and providing value as your undertaking. So I often say my life is my undertaking. My business is a vehicle. Um, so that entrepreneurial mindset really is about ownership not of the business, but of your outcomes, your choices, your opportunities in whatever business you happen to be in. Hmm.
1: Well, when it comes to entrepreneurship, a lot of times that starts with with dreams, uh, with uh, a vision of of how you would want to spend the rest of your life if you could do anything you wanted. Describe what Hmm. you mean when you compare a dream uh, to to a blueprint.
0: Yeah. I often ask people, you know, what are dreams, but a blueprint of what is possible, which sounds a lot like, you know, Walt Disney's thing of if you can dream it, you can mm-hmm. do it. But the blueprint to me is so informative of how we approach a dream. So think about a blueprint. A blueprint isn't a rough sketch, it's specific. Mm-hmm. A blueprint can be changed. We call them change orders. If you wait too long, they get expensive, but <laughs> it can be done, right? So you can always when so, when you know you look at the, the blueprint, you start to build it out and you say, hey, wait a minute, you know I love the size of the kitchen, but um, that dining room is a little larger than we need it to be. You can change a blueprint. You don't have to keep it exactly to plan, but you do have to have a plan. A blueprint is executable a blueprint is something that you can give to someone else even and they can execute that part of it for you so i really look at at the blueprint you know that 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 dream that vision can be kind of ethereal you know the the head in the clouds thing that's really a fantasy you start creating a dream and a vision when you bring it down to something that's that's executable that's implementable
1: and we're talking about goal setting ultimately, uh, kind of beginning with the end in mind, right? And then sort of step by step working your way backwards from that. Is that, is that in essence what you're saying?
0: It is. And I think it's so important, Jeff, to stay um, to stay true to that overriding goal or vision or dream or however you're thinking of it that is your – the why did you want it that way? Mm. We can get so stuck in the particulars that – we say, well, I can't do that because I can't do it exactly the way I had in mind. I can't do it and get exactly what, you know, it, it's like I always dreamed of having this car and there are no more on the face of the earth. They're not manufacturing them anymore. I can't do it. You know, <laughs> you, you want to go back and say, well, why did I love that car? What about that car was so attractive to me? Probably there's another one that does all of that for you. Mm. If you just let go of your attachment, to that one car being the only way that your dream can come true. Mm.
1: Well, one distinction that, that Dixie makes early in the book is to, instead of finishing the phrase, what I really want to do is, is to ask yourself a specific question. So what is that question, Dixie? And why is making this distinction over that phrase, what I really want to do is, so important?
0: Uh, because doing, you know, we get so caught up in what is my passion, what am I passionate about doing? And, and usually we start thinking about activities. Right? So mm-hmm. what do I enjoy doing? What am I passionate about doing? What activity do I engage in? Well, business is a lot of activities. Whether you're, you own one or you're in somebody else's, it's a lot of activities. And some of those activities, between you and I, you know this, are not fun. <laughs> like, I'm not passionate about some of the things I do. If I could do this, talk with people like you all day, oh, I would so be passionate <laughs> about my business all day. But that's not the way business really works. So we we need to think in a, in a format that leads us to outcomes and impact. And, and I look at that as purpose. So when you say, what can I do? make happen? What can I be part of creating? That's an outcome. That's Mm. a purpose in the business, a purpose in the world. And that creates impact. Income comes from impact always. Um, I know you've you've heard me say, if you can create impact, you have the potential for income. Mm. So what the question I have people ask is, What makes people pay attention when I do it? What are those things that you do that people go, oh, wow, that was great. Can you do it again? Oh, wow, that was wonderful. Can you do it for me? Oh, wow, that was wonderful. I've got a friend that could really, really use that kind of help. Can you create that outcome again for someone else in a different situation? Because if you can, now you have the structure for a business.
1: And that really takes the focus off of, of you and, and really doesn't it put, put, put it on those you can help, right? I mean, that's really what that question is yeah. about.
0: Yeah, you know, you've heard our friend Bob Burke say when you shift your focus from the getting to the giving, when you shift your mm-hmm. focus from you to the other person, that really is the key to creating impact. If you're focused on you and you're doing it for whatever personal reasons alone, to make money, to look good, to have status – You can create a lot of success in a short period of time, and it will also be short-lived.
1: I talk to a lot of podcasters as a podcast coach who think that, well, if I put my listener first, um, I'm foregoing uh, myself or my own passions or my own interests. And what I've found in working in radio for years is is kind of that old uh, Zig Ziglar saying, when you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. That's just how it works.
0: That is how it works. It's ultimately, the if, if there's one immutable law that we can't break in life, that would be on the
1: list. Well, Sir Ken Robinson uh, has done one of my favorite TED Talks, probably the most viewed TED Talks uh, out there that suggests that our creativity is, is ultimately educated out of us. I think the title of the talk is even uh, Schools Are Killing Our Creativity or something like that. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your experience, Dixie, with this as a child and, and your attempts at now what you kind of call your cloud time.
0: my cloud time is essential to what i do especially Mm. since i do so much writing for myself and for other people and and coaching people through their creative process if i don't get cloud time you don't want to be in the same county with me it's not fun (laughs) but i've I've become a lot less flexible as i've gotten older as a child it was easier you know was more malleable it was easier to deprive me of cloud time and then i just you know did the little kid hissy fit Mm. but you know, growing up, i was I was raised as an only child. I wasn't an only child. I had a brother and a sister, but they were sixteen and seventeen years older than I was. And so they were gone um, very early in my life. And there I was, you know, raised as an only child in the back of beyond, practically, little tiny village. Um, I had a lot of alone time and I spent a lot of that alone time with my head in the clouds. Um, you mentioned the, the, um, introverted entrepreneur, that would be me. I actually Mm -hmm. tested like a 32. So I'm, I'm pretty (laughs) introverted by nature. Um, although I love people, I just, you know, I need that alone time to process. And so if anybody could have seen what was going on in my head, they would have probably been appalled because, um, all these fantasies and all these ideas and those came out of course in conversation and those came out actually the the few kids that were in the neighborhood i tend to tended to try to organize them to um act out the books that i was reading i wasn't allowed to have television or anything like that Mm. but i'm like okay we're going to act out these books i was always telling story but for most adults the creativity of a child looks a lot like chaos Mm creativity as an adult looks a lot like chaos too <laughs> but we come self we become self correcting at some point right but it, adults try to form that and correct that and they're really uncomfortable with chaos and and my cloud time is very chaotic the beautiful thing about that is that for all of us cloud time whether it's spent you know, up in a tree staring at the clouds, whether it's spent, you know, sketching or writing or whatever outlet that you have, it's a way of pulling that chaos out where you can recognize it and creating something unique of value. So I do think that our educational process, both, you know, just adult influences and expectations, as well as the way that we educate our, our young people teaches them that everything must be ordered and the sooner that you can reach order the more creative you actually are because you're producing something and the truth is that the time that we spend in the chaos in in the goo if you're familiar with how a how a caterpillar actually becomes a butterfly you're familiar with mm. the goo in, inside <laughs> that chrysalis the more time that we are willing to spend in that discomfort of chaos and goo and bombarded by all these possibilities, the stronger our production will actually be when we get to the point where we're producing something.
1: Well, somewhat re- related to that, I think, is uh, I was fascinated by your thoughts on um, negative reinforcement and your belief that you can't achieve long-lasting positive results using negative reinforcement. Share some of your experience around around that topic, if you would.
0: Yeah, let me just take it into the, the physical plane for a little bit. Mm. Think of your character and your habits and your lifestyle and your environment all as a sculpture. And think of negative reinforcement as a hammer, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I can beat it into shape. Right, It won't be true to its nature anymore. Mm. That's not how sculpture works. You know, I, I always love the, you know, and it's been quoted and misquoted and um, paraphrased. But, but the truth is for all of us, when we are crafting our lives and when we are developing our very selves, our job is to reject anything that isn't our purest, highest self. Mm. Right? It's that that sculpture of that, you know, Michelangelo supposedly said that he just got rid of everything that wasn't David. So our job is to get rid of everything that isn't Jeff and everything that isn't Dixie at its highest level. So you can't do that through force. You can't do that through putting people down. You know, the story I tell in the book is is pretty illustrative of that, but for all of us, we've had those circumstances that somebody tried to form us in a positive way by telling us how bad we were. Somebody tried to form us in a positive way by reverse psychology and mm-hmm. telling us that, you know, we'd we'd never be good. And I think the the strongest example I give of that is just how man, how much damage I did to myself trying to prove that I can too, before I realized that. Wanting to do it was part of that equation. So anytime somebody said, you can't do that, I had to prove I could. Mm. Reverse psychology worked disastrously well on me. (laughs) 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 I was very susceptible to that. But there were times that I did myself physical damage, lifting something I shouldn't have lifted or the time that we were in Mm. uh, western Kansas, you know, the flatlands of western Kansas, staying with a family that had horses on New Year's Day. And I had promised myself the chance to ride because they had good horses. Mm. And I get up the next morning and the wind chill is like 35 below. You know, it's crazy. (laughs) And I didn't come with clothes for that. And I had about decided, okay, I wasn't going to get to ride. I was about 13, 14. And then dad said, it's too cold. You can't go riding in that weather. Oh, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got wrapped up. I oh, rode. I came in with frostbite, mm. right? So that that positive change doesn't come from people telling you can't. It doesn't come from people belittling you because you do it wrong. It comes from tapping into your highest best self what you really desire and and working from the inside out because that's how you form something that's that's long lasting because it's authentic
1: you've hinted at some of this uh, but you make uh, distinctions in the book between boundaries and barriers and barricades how do you define each one of those specifically Dixie and what are you, what are your methods or some of your methods for tackling each one of those
0: yeah, if we get deep into methods, we'll just we'll just have a coaching <laughs> session and everybody can sit in. Do that, right? How do you feel about that? Right. Um, well, let's just say that as a 13, 14-year-old who wanted to ride on the prairie, I didn't have a lot of boundaries. Mm. I saw every brick wall as a barrier between me and somewhere I wanted to go. Mm. And being a rather determined, also known as stubborn, bullheaded, I just was going to tear down every brick wall. Mm. And the truth is I should have had some boundaries around that. So, boundaries are those things that we just very comfortably say, I won't. For instance, if your dream job was in San Francisco – and you know what it costs to live in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and you didn't want to move your kids to San Francisco, you wouldn't say, I can't take that job because it's in San Francisco. You would say, I have boundaries around that. Mm. I am not going to put up with that kind of housing market. I am not going to put my kids in those kinds of schools. I am not going to put up with that kind of congestion. I won't do that. Therefore, I will not take that job if it requires a move to San Francisco. That's a boundary. And and so you know you can say well it's the perfect job but, but it isn't is it because right. it's in San Francisco right <laughs> <laughs> so you know the method for that is just to separate out is it truly that you can't or do you have boundaries that are um, part of that arrangement that are simply non negotiable for you so I, I call that just defining the things that you won't live with and you won't live without. Mm. Right, You define those things, and if that opportunity, that thing that you want to do, the way that it's being presented to you today, requires that you live with or without things that you've set as non-negotiable, then it's a boundary. You won't do it that way. You might find a different way to do it, but you won't do it that way. A barrier is something that is truly between us and something that we want. So, it's not something that we're not willing to move. It's just something that right now is in our way think about training for instance i really want to i I, let's say i really want to teach at the local college Mm. but i can't because i don't have my master's degree you could change that Mm. that's not a won't that's a circumstance that's in your way so those are the kinds of barriers that we blast through (laughs) (laughs) through the process that i've included in the book and then there are the barricades. Barricades are tricky. If you read, you know, hist- historical books, you know, about war, or you, you know, read fantasy about war, you know what a barricade is. You know, a barricade right. is something you throw up to keep the enemy out. It's something you intentionally put in place because you fear what is the on the other side. So, you barricade something out. And a lot of times we say, I can't because, and what we're really describing that's that, That thing that's between us and what we say we want is the fear of what we want. You know, big Mm. dreams are scary. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And success is actually scary, too. One of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, we can all live with failure. We know what that looks like. We've been down that hill before. But for many of us, success will change our life in ways that we can't even imagine. Success creates more uncertainty than failure. And so it's scary, too. Um, there are a lot of us and I work with a lot of clients probably because I've been down this road and it's been anything that's part of your history of, of breaking down brick walls is usually something that people will come to you instinctively for help with. So it's that fear of visibility that I know if I step onto the kind of uh, arena that I need to do in order to have the impact that I want to have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a lot more visibility and I've spent most of my life being um, corrected you know in, in in the environment I grew up in girls were even more than other children met to be seen and not heard. So I've been corrected a lot for making myself visible and for speaking up and speaking out. Being visible was actually frightening to me. So I realized that a lot of the brick walls that I had about, you know, I can't step into that larger arena because mm. was actually fear of what would happen if I were successful in stepping <laughs> into the larger arena.
1: <laughs>
0: so those are barricades. Mm. And, and those can really masquerade as barriers, but they're not the same thing.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned the barrier example that you did, uh teaching in a college. I, I guest lectured at a college a few weeks ago and I'd always thought it would be fun to uh to, to teach at that level, you know, as an adjunct or what have you and, and I guest lectured and afterwards they said, Hey, we would we'd really like you to consider being an adjunct. Do you have a masters? And I said, No, but I've got twenty eight years experience doing this. <laughs> and so they said, Oh, okay, well then that's that should be reason enough. <laughs> good,
0: good. I'm glad they were sens- – you know, it's interesting. Most campuses or most colleges are uh, more accepting of that mm. than a lot of businesses. You know, I, I'm, I'm finding a lot of people that are um, looking for jobs. They've got their bachelors. They've spent, you know, 20-odd years doing what it is that they're being interviewed to do, and people are saying – but you don't have a master's. Mm-hmm. Why don't you have your master's? I was working. I didn't need my <laughs> master's, right? So, um, so that's fantastic that there are, mm-hmm. are you know more institutions that are looking at life experience as something kids need to be exposed mm-hmm.
1: to. Yeah, I have I have been at other colleges uh, where that that was they weren't that flexible. That was not an option, <laughs> but uh, but was pleasantly surprised. And it, it, it irks me when when someone who's twenty seven with a master's uh, it, it gets hired for that, and someone with more years experience than that person's been on the planet, <laughs> who doesn't right. have a master's can't can't get hired.
0: You know, though, Jeff, that's such a good example of that design thing that we were talking about. Yeah. You know, with the blueprint is you know okay, you're you maybe aren't going to teach at that school unless you're willing to commit to go back and get your masters. But it doesn't mean that you can't teach that class for a school of that caliber because definitely there are shifts and and you can find a college that'll be like twenty eight years experience. Hey, that's worth ten masters. Come on, let's do it. <laughs>
1: Toward the end of the book, I think it's in in section three, you talk a bit about uh, these varying walls mm-hmm. uh, that we put up, circumstance, style, consequences, design. Uh, share a little bit about those concepts.
0: You know, I really believe that when you put a name on a fear or a barrier It gives you power over it. You know, that was an Mm. old myth that if you could name the demon, you could control the demon. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: so often, because it's not about what it's about, right? We've been telling ourselves this story for however long. This is what it's about. This is why I can't do it. This is what's holding me back. If we can get to the core of what it's really about and put a name on it, it gives us power. So, I found that I made this list. I had a whole notebook of all the things that follow what I really want to do is, but I can't because, and so, I started writing out all the becauses that I heard, mm-hmm. why I can't do that. And I found they fell into these four categories. Um, and if you find a because that doesn't, I want to hear about it. I haven't had anybody in three years since the book came out tell me that they found one that doesn't fit one of these four, but mm-hmm. we can I'm always open. So, if we think about the wall of circumstances, we just talked about it. because. Not having a master's degree is simply a circumstance. Mm. You know, circumstance is I'm undereducated, I'm too educated, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm, you know, one of the jokes that I tell is, you know, I'm not blonde enough. I actually had somebody (laughs) say that to me, I'm not blonde enough. (laughs) And she didn't mean something that you could, you know, fix at the hair salon either. Um, So, those are circumstances. Some of them will change with time. Mm. Some of them you can intentionally change. Some of them aren't going to change about you. You're going to have to change the circumstances of what you're looking for. You know, if, if it's I'm too old, chances are we're not getting any younger. I haven't figured that one out yet. And so you're going to have to, to change the circumstances around getting what you want if, if your belief system says you're too old. But they're just circumstances. Mm-hmm. The wall of style is really about how we do things. Um, you know, some of us are red roses, some of us are yellow roses, and the the red rose bush is never going to put out a yellow rose, can't be done. So, you know, he could sit there and say, well, I'm never going to be a yellow rose. No, you're probably not. <laughs> um, the example I use actually is, you know, I've taught Bob Berg's work since very shortly after the Go-Giver came out as a Go-Giver coach and then um, helped create some materials for that uh, certified coaching program and so on. And so I've spoken on that book quite a bit. Mm. And if you know Bob, and you know me, you've seen us together, actually, (laughs) Jeff, Mm -hmm. you know we're nothing alike. Our style (laughs) is nothing alike. You know, he's bigger than life, and he's got this great, booming voice and his presentation style is nothing like mine. Mm. He is a, a polished, he has everything in order. I'm kind of freestyle. Mm. You know, you think of him like a well-polished, you know, rock performance and I'm kind of like the Grateful Dead. You never know what I'm going <laughs> to riff on today. <laughs> so, that's just who we are. And I tried when I started speaking on the Go-Giver, I tried to do his scripts and it was not going to work. Mm. Because the style wasn't the same. I could have very easily said, I can't teach the go-giver. I just can't do it because I can't be Bob. Right. But the truth is, that's not important. Being Bob isn't important. Being true to my own style and teaching that work authentically was what's important. So, we always have that. I can't learn it the way it's being taught. Or I can't do it the way my predecessor did. Or, you know, whatever. But that's style. And it's usually something that you can work around. Mm. Um, consequences <laughs> this is probably the toughest one mm. it because there's nobody that can tell you whether or not that's legitimate you know when somebody says i can't do that because my wife would kill me I hope that's not true. <laughs> I kind of believe it's not true, but I can't prove it. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, but I I get that mm. that reference a lot. I can't do that, you know. My my boss would kill me, my wife would kill me, my whatever. It seems that pe- more people are homicidal than I can believe. But we have these belief systems around consequences mm. um, that that keep us from doing things. And a lot of times those belief systems aren't even real you know um one of the illustrations i gave in the book is a good friend of mine and and uh, a coach that i think very highly of whose husband said to her he would really like to get his pilot's license and she wanted to know why not and he truly believed that there would be consequences from her because she's terrified of flying mm. and that turned out not to be the case of course at all so we build a lot of our own walls around what we believe the consequences would be mm-hmm. um and then that last one, the wall of design, you know, I have a lot of people say, I can't fly. Like, they think that's the ultimate way of proving me wrong when I say anything is possible. <laughs> well, I can't fly.
1: I can't flap my arms hard enough. <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> you know, you're dead in the water now. I've just, I've just you know, proved my point. And I'm just kind of like, well, I'm not sure what you mean by flying. If you mean getting from A to B by transporting yourself and your belongings through the air, um, you know, I do it all the time. I buy tickets. <laughs> and if I had, you know, the the time and interest, I could get a pilot's license. I mean, we have these things called planes and helicopters. <laughs> it happens. Um, you know, if you're talking about the experience of flying, um, probably unaided flight isn't in your capacity. But, hey, you know, we got skydiving. We got paragliding. There are all kinds of ways to experience you know your your body being propelled through the air, so um, it's all about how you design it and the and the parameters that you set around what you'll accept for possible. And uh, a lot of people get so specific, like the illustration about the car. If it isn't that one, it's not good enough. Well, mm-hmm. then okay, it's not possible. But you know, if you if you just want a car that does all of that for you, there there are probably a dozen models that would do.
1: Of course, uh, developing a plan and then taking action on that plan are, are, are some of the key steps that I often find myself kind of uh, getting mired in the planning uh, part of the process or thinking, well, have I planned enough or am I ready? So you know, does the plan, in other words, have to be perfect before we take the next step?
0: I'm going to tell you a hard thing for a lot of us to take in and live with but the truth is that perfectionism and procrastination are both symptoms of fear Mm. always symptoms of fear and that all fear is a fear of loss so you know we fear losing face we fear failing through lack of planning we have all these fears that we're going to lose something because it's not perfect because we didn't prepare enough because whatever and what we actually lose is the time we could have had making progress if we had just started. Mm. So, sorry to scold a little <laughs> bit there, but, uh, but we all do it. And, and yeah. I could say that because I've done it myself. And the, the thing that I have found, you know, my, my mantra is dream big, think small. Mm. So, it's the big dream, you know, the macro, the vision that we talked about, taken down to – micro steps. And I find that that helps me because if I know I'm taking a series of micro steps, then I can always change direction, right? Mm. People say you can't you can't cross a big chasm in mini steps and baby steps. I'm like, yeah, did you ever hear of bridges? Because really, we <laughs> do it all the time. We We walk over bridges, don't we? <laughs> so, I just look at those micro actions as you know, these are these are my building a bridge or putting down stepping stones or whatever. I can cross that in many steps. I can course correct, but nothing happens until I move. Hmm. You know, it's the Martin Luther King quote that I love so much. You know, that you don't have to know the whole staircase. You just you just have to start on the first step.
1: Uh, I wrote a, a blog post about this very thing not too long ago, related to my belief that we oftentimes overcomplicate uh, the goal setting process. I was just looking at some some relatively large goals I had set for myself the other day and lamenting that I hadn't gotten as far on them or as deep into them as I would like. And then it hit me like a brick uh, or like a stick of dynamite, I guess we might say, (laughs) when I realized that, well, the reason I've not gotten as far on those as I would like is because I haven't finished the process of, of cataloging and writing down the things that I need to do to get to that goal. I haven't finished that process. I I haven't started the day with what's the one next thing I can do to get me that much closer to, to seeing that actually happen.
0: I'm so glad that you're self-aware and and looking at that and recognizing what's missing in your process. You know, the, the two stories that I share in the book that are my own reminders to self that when you're stuck, there are two questions you can always ask. What can I do today? And what can I do every day? Mm. Um, and those are two really great questions to take action. But there was a statistic. I want to say it was a professor at Virginia Tech. Mm. Anyway, the, the, they found that if you write down goals, according to, to the study, you're going to earn nine times as much over the course of your lifetime as people who don't. Mm. But 80% say they don't even have specific goals. Um, under 20% have goals. They don't write them down. Less than 5%, I think maybe it was 4 actually write their goals down, 1% or fewer ever go back and review the goals they've written down. Mm. You think that might make a difference? (laughs) (laughs) I've
1: I've read some things that uh, Lewis Schiff uh, and others have written on that very topic. And they talk about the things that separate successful people, those who are who are wealthy from those who are not. And that's one of those things. Goals is always right there at the top of the list and actually writing them down. And like you said, going back and, and reviewing them, it makes a huge difference. It sounds too easy, but it but it, it really does.
0: It's it's not easy. It is simple.
1: <laughs> it is so that's not true. easy. That's true. Yeah. Great <laughs> distinction. Well, before I move on to uh, some questions, uh, Dixie, not directly related to the book, I wanted to ask if there's anything else from the book uh, you want to make sure we, we know about.
0: Not so much something else, Jeff, as, as, I really, I want to kind of pull it together for you Mm. as far as my strongest belief system. And that is that we are all unique. Therefore, we have unique opportunities. Mm. So the question is never, you know, how can I do, you know, how can I do what somebody else did? Or, um, you know, why can't I do it? Mm. It's what's going to be your way of doing it. If there's any one thing that I always want to know that people are taking away from that book it's the idea that you can look at everybody else you know we have so many models that we say i want to do what that person did or oh my gosh i'm doing a lot of what they're doing why is it not working the way you know the way that it works for him or her we've got all those stories in our heads Mm. about why we are not as successful as we want and the two things i i respond every time somebody asks me a question one Do you know what success is to you? Mm. Because success is personal. And if you're trying to go after somebody else's definition of success, you will almost always sabotage yourself. So my definition of success is, frankly, the freedom to live life on my own terms. Mm. Say yes to what I want to say yes to. No to what I want to say no to. Not feel like I have to have anything because people would expect me to have it. I want to live life on my terms. That's success. Mm. So, First, define success for you because that's unique. And the second is to develop your own path and be on your own journey because that is also unique.
1: Well said. Love that. Well, uh, I'm curious to know what uh, you are reading or what you've read uh, that has impacted you and your journey. What's what's making uh, an impact on, on your life?
0: Oh, if you could see my reading list, the stack by my bed, the stack on my desk, they're, life on my charms, right? I allow myself to have stacks of books because I can't have enough bookcases. <laughs> and Kindle really doesn't help because I'm tactile. I want them in my hands. Yes. Um, so that's a hard question to answer because I actually wrote – A a post for entrepreneur about the non-business books that I consider essential. So I'm going to grab one off of that list that I found so helpful. It isn't really about business, although it's very applicable to business. It's called Super Survivors. Um, And I don't have the subtitle right in front of me, but Super Survivors is story after story and the clinical research behind why these stories can happen of people who have been through life altering traumas, um, whether it was, you know, an accident that cost them dearly, you know, physically, whether it was, you know, severe bullying and punishment by society, whether it was war. So these are people that you would expect if they even survived, it would be kind of a big deal. It would be a, Great story just to know that they they survived and were thriving in the world. These were people that didn't just survive and even thrive in their personal life. They went on to make huge accomplishments in the world. And the thing that I love about super survivors is it doesn't just say, wow, here was the wall. Here's how they blasted through it. They're having a great life. It says, here's clinically what happens in our the human brain when these switches are flipped that allows these kinds of results to happen terrific book for anyone and and none of us are adversity free people talk about my life and some of them that know my life history and they're like wow you've had so much adversity and i could compare it to people that have had so much more and i could compare it to people that had so much less and it doesn't matter <laughs> because it's how we deal with the adversity in our life that makes of us what we are. So, super survivors is something that I would, I would encourage everyone to go out and read. And Jeff, if you get those people on your show, I want to know it. <laughs> uh, I will not miss that. You've had so many I don't want to miss, but that would definitely <laughs> be one. Um, and then one that I go back to, as you can probably guess, over and over and over, and it really is a little story. Um, but I go back to the Go-Giver Constantly, And I know you've had Bob on your show, and, and he's a great interview. John David Mann, uh, you talk about two people that could not be more different, um, <laughs> and they have both been such dear friends and mentors. But even without that in my life, that book, if you study it rather than just read it, if you take away the lessons – and the lessons are layered – I think I still, when I work with clients and we, we go through that book together, I still unwrap new value in that book mm-hmm. and in those stories. Um, if you study these little parables, you find that it, it flips switches in your brain. It changes things in your perception of the world and therefore in the choices that you believe you have and the choices that you make in ways that you couldn't have even guessed. So that's, that's when I come back to often. And I think I'll be referencing super survivors many times too, because there's so much I'm, I'm always interested in how the brain works and how the mind works. Cause of course the mind and the brain are not the same thing. <laughs> and super survivors tells us so much about that.
1: Well, I'd be curious to know uh, what you're working on uh, next. What are you and your team planning uh, that you're excited about right now?
0: Mm. Well, as you know, my my life partner and also a business colleague and I are, are working toward a podcast. And we are doing it in those small, what can I do today? What can I do everyday steps? Because yeah. it's very important to us that we craft it in a way that people find it accessible. Mm. So he is a body worker um, and does not only massage therapy, but movement therapy and functional neurology, which is all about how our body's movement um, in, in, affects the brain which of course is part of the mind <laughs> so the brain is really part of the body we forget that you know it's a clinical part of the body but how our movement affects the clinical brain and then how that changes our ability to think and our ability to create and our ability to produce and of course I come at it from the other side which is right to, you know through the mind and the brain um, and how we create value in the world and how we create impact and therefore income so um, we're, we're blending that together for a podcast and that that's really Big and exciting. As I get my voice back, I'm I'm doing more speaking and really loving that. Um, and writing actually a couple books. I'm ghost writing a legacy story that I'm thrilled with, and I mm. can actually talk about this one. Usually my my ghost <laughs> projects I'm not allowed to talk about, but this one is just a real blast. So I'm really looking forward to bringing that out, and then working on obviously my my next book also is in the work. So um, lots of big thinking going on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you can find uh, more about uh, Dixie at DixieDynamiteCoaching.com. And we'll, of course, link to that in the show notes uh, to the book as well and the other resources that we, we shared during this conversation today. Dixie, it was a pleasure to have you on. I'm delighted to uh, have the chance to get to know you, to have run into you at that conference a couple of months ago, and look forward to, uh, to continuing to, to learn from you more and more going forward.
0: Oh, thank you, Jeff. That's all mutual. I don't think that conference was uh, any coincidence. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Dixie probably hangs out most on Facebook. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can connect with her there if you like. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 103 for episode 103. You can also find her on Twitter at Dixie Dynamite. That's at D-I-X-I-E Dynamite on Twitter. And again, everything you'd like to know about Dixie, her latest book, the resources that we talked about, links, et cetera, can all be found at the page created especially for this episode. One more time, that's podcast.com slash 103. Don't forget our sponsor, Updesk. I've got one. You need one. I'm watching you. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash desk. And we would certainly appreciate it if you consider rating and reviewing the podcast because that helps it get found, helps it get noticed. A couple of ways you can do that, readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes if you listen via an iOS device or ReadToLeadPodcast slash Stitcher is probably the best place to review us if you listen via Android. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you as always next time for the next edition of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.